Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Hipsters Chronicles. This is your host, Jamil Hassan, the Crypto Hipster, where from the period of time of March 2021 through June 2022, I interviewed 182 founders, executives, entrepreneurs, artists, and authors from over 50 different countries and built a global audience in 165 countries while posting and producing my podcast at the Irish Tech News platform. Since then, I realized there's a lot of incredible content in the interviews that I had and my interviews with thought leadership podcast interviews that had amazing gems, amazing gems from um, all the guests that I was able to interview. And so I've chosen and decided to create the uh, Crypto Hipsters Chronicles series, which is a series of the gems, the, the little tiny pieces from each of the interviews that I had in the areas of Bitcoin, Ethereum, metaverses, NFTs, regulatory issues in crypto globally, art, and you name it across the wide spectrum of different verticals in blockchain and crypto industry and in fintech and mobility and sustainability as well. Uh, these are about 15 minutes long, each uh, chronicle, and has three, four, or five different segments from different interviews. So I hope you enjoy them. Uh, I hope you have uh, learned a lot. And if you'd like to um, listen to the full podcasts, they are available online at both the Irish Tech News um, and on Anchor. And uh, in a future date, will be available on the Crypto Hipsters station as well. So please enjoy and uh, talk to you soon. Welcome to Crypto Hipsters Chronicles, Episode 11, Overcoming Adversity and Building Resiliency Through Non-Fungible Tokens. Today's Chronicles is a compilation of amazing interviews with artists and founders um, in the NFT space. The first is kicked off it with Arabella Proffer, who is uh, a tree trunk artist. Secondly is Graham Wallington, who's the founder of Wild Earth TV. Then Sophie Watts, who is a executive producer and has produced uh, the uh, the Mike Tyson uh, Legends series. Fourth is Patty Power, who is a bookie in Ireland who uh, has is betting big on Cannabis and cancer. Could you please share with us your story of courage, strength, and hope? Wow. Well, I guess I, I don't know if it's courage, but it's just more what I, you know, have to do. Um, so in the middle of the pandemic in 2020, I was diagnosed with terminal cancer. I came very fast. Um I thought I was getting fat <laughs> from, you know, sitting around the house and it turned out they were tumors. Um, so they're all over my body. Um, I was given three months to live. 
and I'm still here. And my doctors have now come around to the fact that it is the cannabis that I've been using. And I've actually started a trial, a clinical trial using cannabis. Um, so my last scan, one of my tumors shrunk by seven centimeters in three months once I started this trial. So that's insane. Uh, that's a that's a very huge amount to shrink in three months for people who don't know. Um, so I've been using cannabis basically to, to survive. Um, in my state, it is medically legal, but it is not recreational. So it is very, very hard for me to get. Um, it's actually kind of annoying because you have to go black market. And I really hope that it gets legalized federally because there's just so much medical benefits to it um, that even oncologists will admit to. Um, so it's actually been interesting too with that um, because I was given such a small window of like, you might die soon. Um, I had to then, uh, shall we say, wrap up my plans. Um, and when you're an artist and you have lots and lots and lots of images, you kind of go through and realize like, oh my God, my family, my friends, my spouse, like they don't know what's worth what, they don't know where these pieces are, like these don't have titles, this doesn't have a right, you know, way of being stored. So I kind of went through and like, you know, then started sounding the alarm to artists, like get your affairs in order because if something happens to you, your family is not gonna know what to do with all of this. Um, so just like, getting everything arranged, getting my things in order, um, you know, contracts and like, you know, receipts of like who bought what and where it is now or what gallery has what. Um, so that's been like kind of crazy, but I keep living. So, you know, we'll see. Um, I'm hoping that I can paint more because I've been finally starting to and creating NFTs actually um, has been really beneficial because since I sold out of my inventory, pretty much I can't really sell any more art because, um, you know, I'm really slow to make it. I have problems with my hands since chemo, like it's really hard for me to make new work. So if I can keep selling something that took me many months to do and, it, you know, I can keep selling that image, like that's great because then also my legacy lives on. Uh, bio, I mean, when I hear biodiversity, I think Bitcoin being mined in El Salvador, or I think of, you know, new ways to create energy. Like, what is, else does biodiversity um, encompass, and how else can you help, um, and then, you know, and your project help be, be a part of that global, greater landscape for good? You know what? I mean, that is that is such a good question, and it's really the bottom line question. It's It's the question that everybody's asking themselves, which is, you know, how do we use this new technology to make our world a better place? I mean, that's the bottom line. Um, and, uh, and, and I think that, firstly, biodiversity is really just a measure of how much wildlife we've got. So just how many different kinds of species. And when, we, when animals go extinct, we're reducing our biodiversity. Um, and, uh, and that's bad. So, so, so what we built here is, 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 is first of all, we work from a, a very simple realization that you want to conserve animals, you don't put them in a zoo. You want to conserve wild animals, what you've got to look after is their home. You've got, you've got to protect the trees, the shrubs, the grass, the rivers, the, 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 the home in which these wild animals live. And so what you want to do is you want to figure out a way where, where 
we 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 link the NFTs to the animals. People are buying a piece of looking after an individual animal character with a name, a picture. You can follow it. You can watch it on Wild Earth. How you can go and visit it if you really want to. Um, uh, it's possible to actually physically go and visit the animal. And you know, well, you can't kick the tires. So I, I kind of got distracted there. You can go and visit the animal. But the but the but the point is, is that that money is going to conserving the home of the animal because one day that animal is going to die. The NFT is going to carry on, and that NFT is going to keep on bringing money back to the home of that animal, so its kids and its kids and their kids can can have a home to live in. So basically, Jamil, it's real simple. If we want to save the animals, the biodiversity, we've got to look after their homes. And if we want to look after their homes, we've got to figure out a way to get some money in the hands of the people who are responsible for looking after their homes. Got it. So you're building not just these animals' homes and having revenue, but you're building the future habitat through uh, the NFTs. I mean, what we're doing is we're creating an incentive for the conservation of wildlife habitat. I am interested in learning and knowing what it was like working with Mike Tyson. Uh, look, I had a, a, I'm tremendously proud uh, of the company we built, uh, which culminated in a uh, an exhibition fight. Mike Tyson fought Roy Jones Jr. in 2020 uh, from the Staples Center. And I'm incredibly proud to say that it's the eighth highest grossing pay-per-view of all time, which was uh, suddenly unexpected. Uh, but as someone who's done truly hundreds of live shows, it was the first instance in which I found myself going, wow, I'm, I, I'm dealing with broadcast producers and boxing promoters and athletic commissions and event producers, a tremendous number of moving pieces uh, at what was the uh, hopefully uh, a final peak of this pandemic, so tremendously complex from a safety perspective. And to have ultimately your lead piece of talent in, in Mike be calm and cool and collected and show up every day as masterfully as he did, both for a docu-series and a live, sh a live show that millions of people bought, uh, was was stunning. I mean, for a for a fighter of his caliber to really embrace that change was, I just felt staggering on every every level. One of the proudest accomplishments uh, of my life, actually. I remember being in high school. It's, he's been in boxing for a long time, and I said I didn't know anything about him. I said Mike Tyson's not that good. And three guys in the in the gym looked at me like, uh, "You're wrong. Yes, he is." So, <laughs> I, I can I can attest to you that he really is that good. Yeah. He really is. He really is. Uh, he's a good guy. He's a good guy, and uh, it's a fun show, nerve wracking show, but a fun show. Um. So let's talk about that NFT component, right? How do you feel that that those NFTs can restore enthusiasm? And sport. Um, well, I think because what we're 
it's it's a it's a buzzword, but I've said buzzword about twenty times. But it's a, engagement is key, right? Fan engagement is key, and that's that's a marketing word. But actually, it's it's really appropriate here because, um, as we said earlier, like taking away the middleman is brilliant. So you're bringing the fan with NFTs, for example, you're giving the fans like kind of ownership of their favorite player, ownership of their favorite team, and bringing them closer together without a kind of sponsor ram it down their throat or feeling they have to do something for it right so i think that that gives the the clubs and the players and the leagues a better chance to kind of really get close to and get to know and see like um what i guess what their fans want and to keep that fresh and moving between games and it's it's it can be adapting so quickly and it's just only scratching the surface now it just feels like the it feels like the the way forward even though it hasn't it, like to be to be fair it hasn't really been proven out properly yet in any sport much as many nfts have been sold in many sports but it just feels like it's probably not exactly right right now but it just feels this general direction is the right way to go because if you can give that ownership to like fans are never gonna are very unlikely to say well you know what i'll do i'll buy like i'll invest a thousand dollars in buying stock in my favorite team on the stock market that's not the same right there's no one really you know what i mean people only buy in the stock market to speculate on whether it goes up or down they don't really care about the company that they're they're buying stocks in but these fans really care about the performance of their teams and i think that the, the ownership of nfts does give some sort of ownership of that i think and i think that's the i think that's 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 the secret to it but the way it's being done right now isn't exactly right but it, you can't expect it to be right it has to loads of let's go up at different timings and eventually it'll find the right way and i think it's 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 inevitable that this becomes the case because it's a revenue stream for clubs but i think they're possibly looking at it the wrong way at the moment they're possibly looking at it as a you know mr burns in the background there rubbing his hands going oh how can we make loads of money out of this but in fact i think what it might come around to is uh actually we need to like f figure out ways to offer better entertainment or better value for season ticket holders or nft holders or whatever it might be and make it compelling for people to go in not just say well you can't do this unless you do this but actually to say well if you do this then you can do all these things so to approach it a different way and i think it's going to come full circle like that because i think people now are correctly way more demanding of uh value for their spend and and, and they're cleverer and they, and they have a choice right and before there was probably no real choice because it was just kind of dict dictated from above and i think that autocratic kind of style will hopefully become a thing of the past So in the beginning, you said we were going to talk about homesickness, and 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 you spent time in Korea. Yes. And um, I I graduated from Virginia Tech undergrad. Okay. And I don't know if you know about the Virginia Tech massacre that happened in two thousand eight. Of course. Uh, it was a Korean man mm -hmm. student. He was homesick. Um, and you know, kind of like reversed. Um, but. When I was in college, I was homesick, and a lot and a lot of people deal with that, and they don't deal with it effectively. Um, so I want to find out how you channeled that into creating or how other people should use their talents to to be able to deal with homesick positively. What words of advice, advice, coaching, and encouragement could you have for them? Okay, um, great question. Really great question. Um, yeah, back. I actually I was still. 2008, I graduated uh, December of 2008. So I was still, I was in college then at the same time. And um, so, yeah, I moved over to Korea in March of 2009 and I was there for six and a half years. 
um, I did come back and visit family a lot. But um, one th thing that I found is uh, f try to find people that you can talk to first off. Try to build a, a friend base. Try to make a connection or a family wherever you are. Because I know that physical family is great, but, you know, sometimes physical family can also be a lot of pressure and can be really toxic, like your actual relational family. Anywhere you go, if you travel somewhere, if you move overseas, it's an opportunity to build a family of common interests and, and shared uh, ideas. Find people that challenge you, find people that encourage you and build up a community. I know that it's difficult. I'm a I'm an introverted person, it, though to some people it may be very hard to believe because I can talk loud and be very energetic. Uh, but you know, try to network, try to meet people um, is one thing. But more than that, um, I know for myself, try to find something grounding. Um, so find find your find your tribe. You can get some sort of uh, counseling or therapy if things are, are troubling you. Uh, part of the reason why I turned to art was that in Korea back in those years, like 2009, 2010, um, getting any sort of mental counseling or therapy had a huge stigma. And, and, and if your place of employment found out about it, you could lose your job or not get hired at a different place. And so I, I myself was struggling a lot. I actually, um, I was not only was I dealing with homesickness, but I was also, I had recently like lost my mother. And so I was, I was dealing with a lot of emotional things and I needed something that I could channel all that negativity in. And so I, I went to a paint store and I, I literally, I got a bunch of, of, of paper and I, I went and I got the brightest colors that I could find. And I, I just began to paint 